Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Report podcast. I'm your host, Vago Maradian. Our podcast is brought to you by Bell. Since 1935, Bell has been redefining flight. Learn more about its pioneering spirit at bellflight.com. Next week, the Senate will mark up the Taiwan Policy Act that would deepen and codify the relationship between the United States and Taiwan, a measure that is surely to incite passions in Beijing uh, that has uh, been stepping up its uh, provocative actions and uh, efforts to not just intimidate Taipei, uh, but also nations across the Asia Pacific. Joining us today to discuss this important legislation are retired United States Marine Corps Lieutenant General Chip Gregson, a former Assistant Secretary of Defense for Asia Pacific Security Affairs, who counts the Center for the National Interest among his many affiliations. He also advises the Global Taiwan Institute and retired United States Navy Rear Admiral Mark Montgomery, the senior director of the Center on Cyber and Technology Innovation at the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, who also uh, serves as the director of the bipartisan Cyber Solarium 2.0 uh, Commission. He was the former J3 at Indo-Pacific Command, uh, and Chip uh, was a commander of Marine Forces uh, in the Pacific when they were uh, both on active duty. Gentlemen, thanks so very much for joining us. Really uh, appreciate you making the time and joining us today. Happy to be here. Thank you very much, Vago. Before we get started, our global coverage is sponsored by Leonardo DRS. Fortress Information Security sponsors our weekly cyber report, and Northrop Grumman supports our cyber coverage overall, and General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our coverage of strategy. Uh, Mark, thanks very much also for double duty. Chip, thanks very much for joining us on the uh, uh, Washington uh, Roundtable a couple of weeks ago, where you brought up the Taiwan uh, Policy Act uh, and why it's important and why it's uh, going to be sporty. Uh, in, in, in some cases. Uh, why is this legislation chip necessary and what does it uh, aim to accomplish? Uh, you'll get some different opinions on, uh, on why it's necessary. Uh, I think it's valuable. Uh, Mark is a lot closer to uh, Congress than I am uh, and he may have some more to add on that. But this has, for those of us that don't live on Capitol Hill, uh, the, the Act has been moving forward relatively quietly, as you accurately pointed out. It's now been formally introduced, and uh, it'll be marked up in committee, I believe, uh, as you said, next week and in the time after. Um, Congress has been a solid supporter of Taiwan for a long time. Uh, the Taiwan Relations Act uh, uh, was a creature of its time. Uh, 1979, uh, Taiwan was still a military dictatorship under Chiang Kai-shek. Uh, a lot of things in there reflected the, the time that we're in. Taiwan became a, democ a vigorous, uh, raucous, uh, very successful, um, very entrepreneurial democracy in 1992 and has continued forward. Uh, but meanwhile, there is um, in common uh, discussion, a lot of uh, misunderstandings about Japan. Uh, the uh, uh, the topic of one China is 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 sort of the uh, the illustration of that. Uh, in truth, we said that we acknowledge China's position. We said we never agreed with it. Uh, many other things, but but nevertheless, uh, the the vocabulary of the time in 1979 has now become, as we used to say, inoperable. Uh, China loves to get us into discussions of the one China policy in public and the three communiques and the six assurances and everything else, which generally, to my mind, 
uh, strikes Americans as a pretty confusing, uh, 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 opaque soup and uh, interest is lost in an appreciation for what Taiwan really is and Taiwan's uh, precarious position uh, really is. In, 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 in my mind, uh, the uh, Taiwan Policy Act uh, works to correct a lot of that. It's got a lot of declarative sentences in it. It's uh, got a lot of things that, uh, as you said, will uh, uh, not go down well in Beijing. Uh, in the very first statement under findings in the act, it states since 1949, the close relationship between the United States and Taiwan has been of enormous benefit to both parties and to the Indo-Pacific region as a whole. 1949, of course, was the uh, culmination of the communist revolution. Uh, so uh, um, this, this, the, the first statement, I think, uh, really serves notice as to where we're going here. Uh, there's a lot of other good things in there. I'll leave that until a little bit later, if, if that's appropriate. And Mark can correct anything I said that was wrong. Uh, I don't think any of it, uh, Chip, uh, was wrong. And in fact, you and I, uh, and you were among the first who was mentioning, hey, look, this is brewing in the background. And there were a lot of folks uh, who, who did, were not as familiar about it. Mark, um, you know, you've joined us and discussed this uh, and the importance of it as well. Walk us through sort of the, the why now uh, part of it, right? Because everybody in Washington is always like, you know, we, we don't want to unnecessarily provoke uh, the Chinese, even though um, we're now, and I think Washington is starting to understand that the Chinese are pretty much self-provoking, right? They have their own agenda and it wasn't Nancy, you know, it would have been anybody's visit, you know, that, that would have triggered a massive reaction. Walk us through the mechanical, you know, first why you, you think this is important and why now? And then walk us through, the specific elements of the measure, because there are some of these that are kind of no-brainers and will be easy and we will do them, whereas others are a little bit more thorny. Uh, and somebody who uh, was uh, the great senator, uh, a staffer for the great senator, John McCain, you know, you, you also know that there are things that can be studied and, and ways to sell it. Walk us through kind of the macro and then the mechanical details that are in the measure. Well, thanks. First, uh, thanks, Vago. And I'll, I'll attach myself to uh, everything Chip said, spot on. Um, and, and I'd follow up by saying, you know, why now is because there's two elements to this bill. There's there's things in this bill that are about, you know, demonstrating to China, you know, our commitment to Taiwan, you know, things that are that are, you know, diplomatic in nature and, and maybe related to what we'll do if you do something wrong. You know, those kind of like if then statements and then that, that's fine and, and we're gonna and I'll discuss them in some detail and those could possibly be set aside they could wait another year without a significant change in in the operational uh, you know, front in, in, in the East China in, in the Eastern Pacific but there's a second part of the bill that's the kind of blocking and tackling of how you build a good military partnership between the, the United States and Taiwan so that we can legitimately meet the requirements of the Taiwan Relations Act, which is to both build, you know, provide Taiwan with the appropriate defensive capabilities and ensure the United States has a reasonable, executable plan to prevent China from imposing a solution on Taiwan. And so when you separate those two out, some of that stuff has to be done. We can no longer wait. Um, and, and I'll get into the bill itself and say that blocking and tackling part is called Title II. It has, it has in it, you know, the, the, the stuff that you'd want to have 
um, between any place where the United States might reasonably have to commit forces. It says, do a very specific U.S. assessment, then do an assessment with the Taiwans together. And, and that second assessment should, it should produce an IPL, which is an integrated priorities list of those systems that are in capabilities that are absolutely essential to being able to successfully protect and defend yourself. Then, you know, another section is a Taiwan Security Assistance Initiative. That's code for basically both a, a financial, uh, a, um, a military loan program of about $2 billion in nature that came from Senator Lindsey Graham, and then a probably more important, a FMF grant program of about $4.5 billion over five years. Um, and then there's a war reserve stockpiling, putting the kind of weapons that either Taiwan or U.S. forces would want to have pre-positioned in underground bunkers in, in Taiwan. So it goes through a list of these kind of capabilities and, and then making sure we can prioritize excess defense article transfers to Taiwan for specific capabilities. So to me, these are the kind of like blocking and tackling that makes for credible deterrent capability. And the most important thing about this is the signal we're sending to China, the one country that knows exactly how capable Taiwan is, exactly how capable the United States is, and exactly how coherently we can fight alongside each other. That's the U.S. and Taiwan. The one country that has, I'm confident, 2020 vision on that is China. And so that if we do things that strengthen that capability, that demonstrate that resolve, we can deter China and avoid combat. But if China pushes it and pushes a coercive solution, we can then defeat the, any kind of Chinese coercive uh, solution imposed on Taiwan. Chip, uh, to the self-deterring uh, uh, part of this, right? I mean, we want to make sure that we are sending a deterrent message at an important time. The president of the United States on three separate occasions have said that the United States will fight for Taiwan. His staff has come back and said he didn't mean it. You know, folks have said that he's a doddering old man. And I think that anybody knows, Biden knows actually that there was no accident about that. And he was very deliberate in what he's saying and why he's saying it. Authoritarians have a tendency of paying attention to what the leader says and, and not for... Uh, what other folks in the in the system are saying. From your standpoint, what is what are the problematic elements of this, where we should tread a little bit more carefully? Mark and I were talking, and you know, for example, major non-NATO ally, we, we could say we're going to study that. Uh, you know, like so, we won't decide that, or we're commissioning a study uh, on whether we should do that. That message that will be a message delivered to Beijing. From your standpoint, you know, what are the no-brainer elements of this? What are the ones where we may have to tread a little bit more carefully? Or are we beyond that at this point, right? I mean, because the Chinese don't appear to be particularly treading carefully, although there's a lot more provocative stuff they could do, right? Your, your sense on, on what sort of the easy part of this is that should be in there and where we might want to tread a little bit, little bit more cautiously. Uh, the the, the no-brainer parts to this are the development of Taiwan's capability and development of our capability. We have a problem on our side, too. One of the uh, uh, fair critiques of the, of the, of the TPA is that uh, we're, we're talking loudly and not carrying a big stick. We, we, we talk about getting uh, uh, weapons to Taiwan, getting military equipment to Taiwan, but the process, the FMS process and the acquisition process in general is very frustratingly slow, even for U.S. forces. Uh, 
we've got a problem now and that we can't, as, as I mentioned, I think uh, previously uh, um, to, to you, we can't replace the Javelins and the Stingers and the HIMARS systems that, that we're pushing to Ukraine in any kind of relevant time. Uh, we, it's, it's an industrial-based problem. It's, a, uh, it's an allocation of resources problem. It's a congressional authorization problem. There's a number of things in the way of this. One of the no-brainers in here is um, uh, buried in uh, oh, one of the sections in here is an assessment uh, will be done of the efforts of Taiwan to acquire and employ within its forces asymmetric capabilities, including, and it goes on to list 13 of them, and most of the things start off with uh, long-range long range precision fires, integrated air and missile defense system, anti-ship cruise missiles, da-da-da-da-da survivable swarming maritime assets, manned and unmanned aerial systems, mining and countermining capabilities, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We need this stuff too, but it's, it's frustratingly difficult to break the way we've always done things inside the, uh, in, in, inside the big system. So uh, that's all in the no brainer side, but it's gonna require work on our part too. This isn't just waving our finger at Taiwan and saying, you gotta be asymmetric, da 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 da, and going on forward. Uh, we've gotta do more training with the Taiwanese. Uh, asymmetric is mentioned in this act. Uh, I started a habit of uh, doing buzzword bingo every time I go to a, a conference on Taiwan on how many times people say symmetric or asymmetric and it's frequent. Nobody ever explains what they're talking about. Symmetric and asymmetric come from sound operational concepts first, and then you add the weapon. Uh, people criticize Taiwan for having the M1 tank, for example, and say, oh, they don't need the tank. They're not gonna fight any other tanks. Well, I submit the M1 tank, if it's used properly, can be a heck of an asymmetric asset against uh, any ships or landing craft that are offshore. It's uh, operating as a mobile gun system. So uh, the uh, getting better on the military side is, is the absolutely necessary no-brainer in this. And it doesn't matter whether China is irritated about this. There are things on uh, symbols uh, that can be questioned as to whether I need them to do them now. They can be questioned as to whether this is unnecessary or unproductive provocation. Some of us are old enough to remember when uh, uh, one of the uh, senior Tecro guys ran up the Taiwan flag on the flagpole at uh, Twin Oaks. Uh, on the Taiwan anniversary and promptly lost his job, but he was going to leave anyway. And this became sort of one of these great Washington ripples, you know, oh my gosh, a violation of protocol. Uh, uh, that's in there that we can do this. It's, it's, it's in here that the Taiwan military personnel in the United States can wear their uniforms and, and things like that. This will, uh, uh, this will make a statement. Uh, it's debatable the, uh, whether the provocation is worth it. Uh, I, kind of think it might be. Why do you say that the provocation might be, right? I mean, because in Washington, um, there is this sense of, you know, as, as you said, right? Oh, my God. Well, we can't do anything. Well, Vago, the, you know, the, the Chinese have their own equities in this. We don't want to encourage, you know, and there was a period, right, Chip, when you were in the job, there was a genuine concern uh, 
that, you know, of Taiwanese independence and what that might cause. Uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why I remember going back to the Bush administration and the Bush administration wouldn't even accept the request for uh, weapons request for fighters. Uh, for example, it was the Obama administration that cleared that first batch of airplanes, um, you know, because of fears of, of going independence. Why do you say that we shouldn't really worry as much, right? Have we crossed the Rubicon in your mind with the Chinese where, you know, us, us backing off is actually an emboldening gesture rather than an inflammatory one? I think it's emboldening. China has absolutely no hesitation to provoke us. Um, we can provoke back uh, and do it with a smile. Um, Tony Blinken has done a couple of these. Uh, so uh, uh, that works out. Um, the, uh, uh, the, the attitude thing is, is very important. And you mentioned it, and you only went back to the Bush 43 administration, but it goes back to Bush 41. Uh, we went through four administrations uh, with the idea that as China became more, more successful and more wealthy, that they would naturally become more capitalistic, uh, democratic, and uh, liberal. Um, Probably not a bad idea at the time. Uh, we started this uh, as the Cold War was uh, crashing to its conclusion. Um, the American public, uh, 1989, 1990, 91, 92, they were in the American public, in my opinion, would not have stood for uh, another existential conflict uh, on the heels of one that of the Cold War being over and one that they hadn't been prepared for. So, and China, we leveraged China to, to good effect uh, towards the end of the Cold War against the Soviet Union. The problem was it took us way too long to realize that China wasn't uh, going on our program, that China was on its own program. Hide and bide went away, uh, and we got all these outrageous provocations like the uh, uh, massive dredging operation in the South China Sea that created right. 3,000 new acres of militarized islands. Uh, we got the uh, suppression of Hong Kong. We got the... Uh, incarceration of a large portion of the Uyghur population. Uh, uh, we, we had Xi Jinping uh, assure President Obama that they would not militarize those features in the South China Sea and promptly did it. Uh, and now we've got increasing provocations across the Taiwan Strait against Taiwan. And it's not only increasing in the demonstrations, it's increasing in the uh, degradation of the status quo. The median line uh, practice that everybody followed is now gone, uh, for example. So that's kind of like uh, the anaconda strategy. They're gradually closing in right. and working to strangle Taiwan. So um, we can stand a little provocation. We can withstand a little China uh, disgusted our provocation. Maybe they'll kick some more U.S. businesses out of China, which would actually work in our favor. It's one of the things that we got to start shutting down. This isn't just a military effort to uh, um, protect Taiwan. It's got to be an all-of-government effort and an all-of-nation effort, which means our big business has to get on board, too. Um, there's right. things that uh, can be negotiated in and out on the, uh, on the bill. I'm, I'm sure that, it'll, that that'll happen, but uh, I, I, I don't think that worrying about provoking China should be any big worry on our part. Mark, your sense on where that line lies or 
Are you uh, are you with and 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 equally are members increasingly where Chip is uh, on this intellectually? Here's what I say. First, in relation to the Taiwan Policy Act, that the the provocative and I use that term loosely because I don't I don't like Chip. I I question whether it's really provocative for us to state what our policy is. Sections are section one, um, and then again, and there's a uh, section on sanctions, section uh, Title Eight. But in that Title One, where we talk about changing the name of of um, the the Taiwan office here from TechRow to the Taiwan Representative Office, or having Senate confirmation for our um, representative that goes to the Taipei office of the Amer- you know, our office in Taipei for the American Institute of America. These were actually the grounded. So these were moderate solutions. We could have tried to rename things embassies and call people ambassadors. It didn't go that far. I think this was a good moderate thing. And it sends us, it's signaling to China. We're unhappy with how you respond, how you act, what you've done in Hong Kong, what you've done with the Uyghurs, our belief that you, you intend to impose a, uh, a solution, a coercive solution on the Taiwan. So I think we've done a good job. And then as you and I have spoken and you alluded to earlier, there's some things we could probably pull out of this, like the, uh, the, the designation of Taiwan as a major non-NATO ally and say, and ask DOD or State Department to study this issue for a year. That's a signal that says to Taiwan, look, we took some action. We've done the military stuff that I went through in, in Title II with the FMF and such. But we held back on some things that we thought would really in, infuriate you. And, and, and you, if you continue to act in a treat us in a wolf warrior sort of way, you're going to get, you know, you're going to get a more significant action next year. And, and the final thing I say is I will say that sections of Title VIII, which is the sanctions measures, the triggers are vague. I just think this was written a little too fast. And for reasons other than whether or not we should have pre-arranged triggers for China, which I think is a deeper, longer debate that's not appropriate for this bill. I think that should be a separate provision where we think about it, write it probably in more detail. And, but then, you know, by having this in the markup session, it's a signal to uh, China, we're considering this. We're considering having Congress pre-approve sanctions for certain actions by you because we're so convinced you might take them. And we want to give the president all the authority he needs. So I think this, this markup, which is on Wednesday the 14th, will be a great opportunity for it to first state we're going to do some of these things to make Taiwan and the United States more capable of carrying out our responsibilities. We're going to do these things that might piss you off a little bit, but they're a reflection of how you've treated us in Taiwan over the last two or three years. But we're going to hold back on some other things and see how you respond. And look, China's not good at this. I think they'll overreact to this. And, you know, we'll be back here a year later working on those sanctions. But I don't think they have a temporal sense like the blocking and tackling for planning, exercising and uh, and uh, building the Taiwan and U.S. forces. That has to start this year with this bill being passed in this legislative cycle. And a word from our sponsors, Ultra Intelligence and Communications. Sponsors are command and control coverage, and we are a proud Farnborough International Airshow media partner, and our coverage of Britain's leading airshow was sponsored by Farnborough International and Leonardo DRS. What is the window we have, right? I've, I've asked you uh, both this question, uh, and, and then I think we have a question, time for one or two more questions, so we're going to a little bit of a lightning round here. Um, you know, what, what is the window as far as both of you guys are uh, concerned? Mark, you know, start us yeah. off and then chip. What is our deterrent window? Um, you know, I was asking five years, a couple of years ago, 
then we have the Davidson comments. I, I note that, uh, you know, Jim McConville, the Army Chief of Staff, uh, you know, roughly two years ago said it's two years. He said, if we can start moving the vectors, we've got to do that within two years. Otherwise, we won't be able to buy ourselves that deterrent uh, bandwidth, right? So what's the danger zone uh, since we're all Top Gun Maverick fans here? In that kind of larger issue, I, I get that Admiral Davis said 2027 is a point at which they may have a capability or capacity to do something coercive to resolve the issue. I think that, that and I think Admiral Davidson, if asked, would then qualify that by saying, but we could alter that timeline. The actions right. the United States takes to better prepare itself, better position itself, better posture itself for um, a crisis or contingency in, in, the, uh, in the Western Pacific can alter that timeline. Preparing the Taiwans uh, to, to the, the Taiwans for their forces to be better can alter that timeline. And probably most importantly, you know, moving ourselves from a right now our, our military to military operational relationship is deconflicted. That means best case, you go left, I'll go right. Do not go, you know, you do not go right at all, right? And then you know we have to move that up to either uh, coordinated or integrated so that our forces are supporting each other and helping each other. That all those kind of actions I just mentioned are what move that timeline from 2027 to 2029 to 2031. Um, and so, and General McConnell's right in the sense that if you're going to move that timeline, you need to be taking action now. Chip, your your sense? Uh, concur completely. Going back to uh, what Mark was talking about before, debating some things and leaving them out of this bill. Uh, leave some things in reserve. And that can be a useful signal that, that uh, you know, you didn't like what we did this time. Just keep up your, keep up this act and, uh, and, and we'll, we'll include some other things. Secondly, Mark could not be more correct. This is why he was a great J3 at, at PACOM before it became Indo-PACOM. We've got to move from deconfliction to integration. Uh, the, the range of weapons, the speed of weapons, and pervasive surveillance mean that this, this is going to be a wide battlefield. Any fight over Taiwan is going to become a war all across East Asia very instantly. And we've got to be able to integrate with our allies so that we have a faster operational tempo than an enemy that outnumbers us. Uh, um, the, uh, uh, the, the, Art of predicting, is it two years, is it four years? We can look at raw capabilities and we can get a good estimate of it and, and, and those are worthwhile. But one of the things I worry about is autocratic leaders don't think like other people. Uh, you'll recall that all the wise guys in Washington, not all the wise guys, but, but many of them, were of the opinion that Putin wouldn't invade because it didn't make sense. And it's about the same thing that's always uh, said about China and Xi Jinping, that it wouldn't make sense. Well, it wouldn't make sense from our point, uh, from our system of logic. He wants to go, go down with a legacy greater than Mao Zedong's. And he's been in charge for 10 years. He's eliminated everybody that's not uh, uh, speaking the party line and is not telling them what he wants to hear. It's sort of an autocratic illness. Uh, we've got to uh, make sure that we have an undoubted ability to prevail that's obvious. And, uh, and, and that way we start moving the timeline in the other direction. When the Chinese were flying missiles over Taiwan, everybody, including Dr. Call, the Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, went to some lengths to somehow minimize that. Do we degrade our own credibility when we soft shoe around something like that? I mean, I don't understand why we wouldn't just say, 
yeah, that's what they did. And oh, by the way, that's BS. And, and, you know, you're not going to do it again, or we're going to do this. We were sort of like, well, it's unclear. We don't know what territory, they, you know, and, and every, you know, every reporter in the new room knew what had happened. And here's somebody who does have an enormous amount of credibility is telling us, you know what I mean? I mean, effectively degrading his credibility by, by tap dancing uh, around this chip, your, your sense and, and Mark yours, you know, whether it's time for us just to stop that and, and call it for what it is. Yes, you overflew it. That's BS. We're hitting the, the baloney button. And if you do it again, here's the, here's the penalty you're going to pay if you do that again. As opposed to, well, gee, I don't know. We're going to have to look at it. I haven't seen the tape. That's what we hear. We're not sure what territory means. It, it, it came across absurd for what was otherwise a pretty good press conference. Yeah. I wonder what we'd say if they if they overflew Guam with a missile or overflew Hawaii, uh, that we might have a different opinion of it. In August 1998, uh, Korea uh, launched a tapo dong that went over Japan after we were busy assuring the Japanese that they couldn't do that. Well, they did it. And, and one of the things that is on the list of things that we need to provide is integrated air and missile defense. I would say that's a priority. The, the, the Taiwanese did us a favor by shooting down a drone over Jinmen Island. This is something that we don't need to continue to put up with. And uh, we need to get the defenses in place to make sure that it can't happen again. Mark? I would just say, you know, and obviously this was a, these were ballistic missiles, you know, passing through space without getting all the specifics. It, wasn't through Taiwan airspace. I think probably our reaction was muted because we kind of thought they might shoot a cruise missile or something of a lower altitude that was much, you know, much more kind of aggressive and inappropriate. And maybe part of our underreaction back was to just say, look, they, you know, they're a petulant child. If we, you know, if we take them on directly, they'll just do more of this. Um, I'm not trying to excuse it, but I think I kind right. of understand how they ended up without would not overreacted. And sometimes, you know, we have to remind ourselves, we are the adult in the room. When it comes to the relationship with Russia, we're the adult in the room. When it comes to the relationship with China, we're the adult in the room. And, and, it's a, and we need to remind ourselves that China thinks they're a big country and they treat other countries with I'm a big country, you're a small country kind of relationships. But we have to remember that we're the, you know, we've been a superpower for 70 years. We know how to act like one and the Chinese don't. Um, very uh, quickly, um, Chip, do we have as good of a game plan where we've mapped out what are the responses the Chinese are going to have to this stuff so that we're better prepared? Because every once in a while, it seems as though we're sort of surprised what it is they're doing. Do we need, do, do we have as good of an understanding and as good of a, of a playbook? Hey, if he goes there, we go here. If they do that, we do that. Or is this pickup ball that we manage to figure out anew each time they do something? Uh, I don't know. I've been away from this for a long time, so I'm not uh, not waiting to any development of any plans. But uh, there are ways where we can uh, reveal certain capabilities while concealing other capabilities, uh, all in the name of deterrence. Uh, you can't deter with a secret. You have to reveal a little bit. Uh, so I would like to see us uh, continue this uh, a uh, very careful, calibrated, conceal and reveal policy to make sure that, that China knows we have counters. And uh, and I agree with Mark. Yeah, the uh, outer space is not in uh, is is not uh, flying through somebody's airspace, but uh, a uh, threatening trajectory is a threatening trajectory. Mark, do we have as good of a playbook as we need to? As somebody who's a little bit closer to this, 
So first, I do believe Indopaycom is constantly updating and refining their their planning books. Um, look, but my, my fear but is- But I'm, I'm talking also about political response from yeah, Washington. I mean, and that's like I say, my fear is, is that it's uh, the speed that Indopaycom needs to be effective in deterrence may be much faster than the speed Washington is, is prepared to provide. Now, look, two things give me, uh, something gives me optimism on this. One, we certainly responded very rapidly to Putin's actions on February 24th. Um, and that, and that, that's to the president's credit and to his team's credit. And, and certainly the, the, uh, the speed with which we declassified information to make it clear to the world what was happening was critical. But I'd also counter that with uh, the, the lack of speed and attention and focus on this issue, on the Russia-Ukraine issue from January of 2021 to when it occurred in February 2022, you know, tells you that when not a focus, no administration really, you know, is, is giving enough bandwidth to an issue. So I'm a, I, your concern, I think, implied is can we ha- make the political decision making fast enough for military contingency planning to be effective in deterring China. I'm not sure, um, but I I do think they're taking it seriously and they have a good team in Colin Call and uh, particularly Eli Ratner as their Assistant Secretary of Defense uh, for for East Asia uh, handling this problem. 30 seconds, uh, Mark, why on earth would Iran uh, attack Albania? And is this a contract hit on behalf of the Russians, for example, right? I mean, we keep talking about China, 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 Russia, Russia, Russia is a problem, and it's even a bigger problem when the North Koreans are the ones now helping out the Russians and bailing them out ammunition, perhaps people-wise, uh, and what have you, right? I mean, so we do have an axis here uh, that's uh, developing and something we're going to talk to Dom- Dr. Tom Mankin of yeah. uh, CSBA uh, next week. Uh, just so give us your 30 seconds. At, at risk of sounding like George W. Bush, you know, I think there is an axis of authoritarianism in cyber. <laughs> the four major cyber countries, China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, all have side hustles you know, their governments do in criminal behavior. The more famous one, obviously, is Russia, with its proxy usage, uh, you know, conducting ransomware like Revo and others, where they at least at a minimum harbor and shelter them, but probably send them tasking. Um, North Korea is effectively a cyber criminal gang masquerading as a nation state. So just set that aside. And what we're seeing here is, yes, that in addition to the very good work that the Iranian, you know, their cyber teams do and undermining the trying to undermine the infrastructure in Europe, Israel, uh, Saudi Arabia, other Middle East countries, and even the United States, and the repression they do internally, they also have a cyber criminal element to them. And I do believe this action against Albania was probably as much to do with criminal behavior and support of Russian initiatives as it was anything to do with Iranian national security initiatives. Gentlemen, thanks so very much. Always an honor and pleasure having you on the program. Look forward to having you back on again soon. Thanks very, very much. Thank you. Thank you, Vago. And before we go, on this sad day, we send our deepest condolences to the royal family and express our sympathies to the British people on the passing of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, who devoted her life in exemplary service to her nation. And we wish King Charles nothing but fair winds and following seas as he begins his reign.